the first albums I ever got were, uh, on vinyl were Alice Cooper School's Out mm-hmm. and came with a pair of women's panties wrapped around the record. So I remember when I got it, and you know, of course, my dad got it for me. So we opened it up in the kitchen in front of my mom. And I didn't even, it never even dawned on me. These are women's lace white panties. I was just like, you know, a cool hat or whatever. I didn't know. And my mom's like, get rid of that. You're not, you know, I go, all right, I don't care. You can throw them in the garbage, wear them, mom, whatever you need to do. I don't, I don't care. Just, I just want the music. Right. right. So um, that and paranoid uh, album by Sabbath, we used to have a thing in the kitchen when mom was cooking we had speakers in the ceiling of the kitchen, but the turntable is in the living room. So you go put it on the living room and you listen in the kitchen. So I'm in there listening to, and just, you know, I'm, I was a kid still starting to learn how to play rock guitar. Cause I was always right. playing flamenco. So this is my, you know, $60 electric guitar that I got uh, from service merchandise and, and ah, I remember that place soon and had probably five strings on it and I'm playing <laughs> war pick learning all this stuff. But I started accumulating tons and tons of vinyl, every all kinds of man, every Sabbath, Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Pink Floyd, uh, Angel, you name it. I had boxes and boxes of vinyl and and all, you know, all the first five Lillian records were all in vinyl. So had all this stuff. And then Hurricane Katrina came and I was keeping it all at my mom's on the first floor in the closet. And my mom got like 18 inches to two feet of water and engulfed all of my vinyl, destroyed boxes of my vinyl. So I, um, you know, at that point, 2005, nobody was really doing vinyl that much anymore. So it was senseless for me to recollect. So I got a few pieces here and there and was uh, fortunate that I I got some more of the Lillian stuff on vinyl. But I mean, it was an intense collection, man. I'm going to tell you, it was sickening. When I went back and into the house after the flood and started peeling them apart and the covers were melted together and, you know, the, the, the albums uh, were destroyed. So I, uh, I only have a couple of pieces and that's it. And uh, okay, what you got is what you got. And you can do CDs. Segue, talk about influences. We're just about music. Anyhow. There you go. Alice Cooper was, School. Alice Cooper. The nice. first album that I ever got, I told you about with the women's panties. I actually was able to get another copy of it. Now, this is what's cool about this album, right? School's out, right? This is yeah. the album cover, if you can see it, is a desk. So it opens up like the old school desks with a picture of Alice and the guys in the front. And on the inside, you take the vinyl out and it's got like a true false, all the information. I don't know if you can see it. Let me see if I can hold it up. You yeah. can see it's like yeah. yeah. Okay. No Breakdowns in there, a slingshot, some marbles, of course, because every kid has a slingshot in his desk. And then uh, English, room 304, and then uh, School's Out Quiz, which is all the, the facts and stuff about the album itself, you know, who wrote what, et cetera. And then right. the back of it looks like the, uh, it actually has a thing where it, it folds out into a desk. So you can what? have a cardboard desk yeah i like that that was the days that's why i love that's that was the inspiration for vinyl it doesn't be a hard and fast rule but the idea is like with vinyl is you touch stuff you got all these like things uh, i'll show so my first one um i had two I, my first things i got weren't just records they were two cassettes and i've said before i got two cassettes and i actually got the vinyl of one of them now was right. um being held diver down and on cassette and my except about a serial like in the early 80s and i got a uh, police synchronicity so i got 
Oh, Van cool. Halen, Diver Down. Nice. Fifth album. Obviously, the you know the whole thing they were doing the instrumentals. There's a lot of fighting in the band at this time. You mm-hmm. know, some covers on there too. Yeah, it's like from it's like the '81 or '82 uh, California show they did. The look one. at that! Con- look at the uh, the crowd out at that show. I mean, that those were the man. You know. Yeah, I mean it's it's great, and this is like, and then this is what's so good about it. You're not going to see this. Yeah, you're right. You on a cassette, the CDs you're trying to read the words and the little tiny things. I probably wear yep. glasses because of those CDs and lyrics. That's probably the main <laughs> reason. Because, nice. Um. Yeah, that, that was their that was their big album with the, you know basically there's something going on you know the the flag means there's something going on under the water so that was this thing just something going on underneath the covers the band. One of the things that I find really just kind of uh, that most people don't realize is so many of these early rock albums there was eight or nine songs on there yeah you know and thirty three uh, minutes twenty nine yeah, minutes exactly and you know you start thinking of like you know because. I had, I had this philosophy that uh, it was might have been proven wrong to me a little bit, but that it was uh, the more you give them, the happier they would be, right? So our album, Sad Day on Planet Earth, had uh, I said, what is the maximum amount of time you can put on a CD? And it was like seventy. I don't know if it's increased, but it's like seventy-seven minutes, seventy-six. Yeah, something. Like yeah, it was so, a space. Yeah. So. Um, at the end of, I think there's 15 or 16 songs on the record. When the last song would have been ending, there was like another two, three minutes left. Yeah. And I said, I, I got to fill it up. I just, I'm going to make a point, right? So I did this weird instrumental thing where I did like a hundred plus guitar tracks, but I kept adding them in and doubling them in. And I was trying to create the feeling of like, insects growing so i was like one would be going and another one on top of it and then it would be four or five of them and at the end of it there's like 10 different melodic patterns all sounding like flies and um and then it just it builds up and it gets louder loud, and it stops and it reverbs out and i was like wow that's pretty unusual and cool and people think yeah. i'm uh, losing my mind but what the hell so i did it so we filled every second of that cd up you couldn't put another second on it and I'd be damned if I didn't have four or five people say, I really like the CD, but it's too long. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm sitting here trying to create soundscapes to make you happy. Yeah, so hopefully there's a hundred people that didn't say anything. Because it's usually the ones that like it. Don't did. say anything. Exactly. But I'm the guy that's like, you know, I get 500 great reviews and one <laughs> bad one. And I harp on that one, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I did that one time. Like it? <laughs> I, I did. I had three or four bad reviews criticizing. So I wrote some comedy piece for some online paper. They got they got like five thousand hits on the front page a day, right. at least. So I, I got put it right in the front page. I had four comments criticizing me. I'm like, oh, it's the end of the world. I know. That's it. That's how I. Five thousand people read it. Four people <laughs> comment. I'm like, I'm crushed. That just yeah. shows you care, right? It is. It's crazy. I think it's a good idea. I think Rob Zombie does it now. He does these short albums now, the old style. As he says he's right. making them really short for that reason. I think I like the fact that people mix it up. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the material for the album, you just have eight or nine good songs, then just put right. them out. There's nothing there's right. no crime there. Right. If you're going to put filler on there because you, oh, the album's too short, we need to throw it on like an instrumental. We need to do a cover song, which is, right. is the argument back to Diver Down. You know, it's a good song. It's got good albums. But Eddie's like, I don't want to put it out unless it's my own stuff, you know, and, and exactly. the record label, they were like, more cover songs, you know? 
Right. I'm like that too. I just, I don't ever. And um, that's one thing I never, ever heard anybody say is that we, we, it sounds like that's a filler. Never done that because I've always had such an abundance of material that um, I wouldn't put it out unless it was what I thought as strong as everything else. I think all these songs are purposeful. They all are. Yeah. And they all, they interact with each other too. And I would just never want to, I, I, I joke around about the sad day thing because it was like a minute and a half, two minutes left. And I was like, let me just go make some, but I would never, you know, I could have put me uh, opening a can of sardines on there or something. And, but I said, let me make it something cool and unusual to fill it up. But you're right. It's, it's a, a matter of, are you going to put something on there? Um, but that's different. That's, that's, that's a couple of minutes of crazy, but that's like you said, all the guitar laying, that's something really creative though. That's right. not like you're like, oh, I'm just going to yell for 30 seconds to make exactly. it. Exactly. No, like or literally you put time into creating for... some kind of neat sound or some kind of use, use it. It did. So, um, but I, I, you know, there's something to be, Oh, look at that. That's excellent. Read the tracks on that. Read the tracks. on. You mean to cut you off? I'm sorry. No, go I ahead. Actually, I, I, I actually I tried to thought I was going to tie it with what you're saying with the tracks too. That's why I was brought this up. All right. I don't want to. I lost my thought. I want to look at all those great pictures. All the hippie haircuts and mustaches yeah. and sideburns that were called like face bladders and stuff. And all <laughs> kinds of. What is it? Something like that. Somebody had the best names for them too. I, um, so this album was Highway Star, Maybe I'm Leo, Pictures of Home, Never Before, Smoking the Water, Lazy, and Space Trucking. Oh, that's awesome. Eight. Now, that's seven or eight songs. How many is it? Eight. It is. And that's what I'm saying right now. There is seven songs and that's what seven the tie-in songs. is and Jeez. one side is 19 minutes the other side is like 17 oh there you go wow but i it's mean all- this is everything this is like a studio it's got the fire so we all know the songs oh. smoke on the water right when they talk about they were they rent to the rehearsal hall and whoever has a know, mm-hmm. you may know it, who's watching us know it they rent to the rehearsal room to record this album across the water was montrose was it was montrose was a studio frank zappa was playing and the studio right before they got to it and had their gear in there caught on fire and burned down. Yep. Yep. And and that's where Frank's app and the mothers and the smoke on the water came from. Um, I think generationally we, we grew up with that, but I think there's going to be a point now where we need to start spreading that on like, like stories to like to the young on the fireplace. Because we realize we could just fill them all with a whole bunch of bad information and say, it's a, that was a marshmallow roast that they had one time. <laughs> I think it's probably, it's, you know, it's probably on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, right. bad information out there. Might be, huh? You never know who's telling you the truth anymore. Let me see. All what right. you got? Let's mix, let's mix it up. Bam. All right. Okay. Frank Zappa. There you go. I can mix them up. So, this album, we're not familiar with it. Is Shake Your Booty. All right. Shake Your Booty, rather. Like most Frank Zappa stuff, you know, all this uh, called for me live on the tour, but it, it had some of his bigger, you know, obviously you have, you know, um, all your big hits on here from him. Actually, not even written down. That's, you know, it's like Bobby Brown, um, which is the band. He had a song on here called Dancing Fool. Right. Making fun of, all the, making fun of disco. It became a disco hit. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You know, Bobby Brown, of course, we know if we can't talk about it because it's such a trouble. Controversial song. Um, Baby Snake. No, I, you got to fill me in. I'm not very knowledgeable on the Zappa stuff. I, I got it. I'll be, you know, since we're being honest, I, oh, I always, I know the guy was brilliant musician mm-hmm. and he was uh, very creative and out there, but I never latched on to um, just like wanting really? to listen to stuff. 
because if I listened to it, it was like, okay, I get it. And yeah, he's really good and he's smart and he's brilliant. But sometimes I felt like he was trying to like make fun of everybody and, and kind of feel like uh, I'm smarter than all of you morons out there and stuff. So let me make a piece of music here that, yeah. um, you know, I think uh, he was, I don't know why I didn't get it. No, well, I didn't listen to when I actually I heard Dweezil Zappa first. I told this when I talked to Dweezil. I said, actually, Dweezil, I got into Zappa through Dweezil with Guitar Watch, Queen Mama. Dweezil was still in a lot of stuff in the 80s with a lot of musicians. Right. And then by default, when I got older, because I thought someone said, oh, what about Zappa when I was a kid? I'm like, isn't that that, that jazz stuff? That's how I said, isn't right. that jazz music? Right, right. So I was like, in my, I don't know, so a lot older. And I started listening to him breaking it down like separately. And it's really good. I think. He's so talented. He can do everything. He can compose. He does everything in his head. Like just a miracle of songwriting. And then you can go make a look. He was just, I don't know. I think like the the, the starting point for all of his stuff, like like sarcasm and stuff. It's just him. It just, I think it was just kind of poured out of him. Right. I don't think he looked at himself as, a, as being anything better. Right. It was just a starting point for creativity and how he hated the fakeness of stuff. And, the, you know, yeah. very sarcastic, especially in the 80s and 90s and Reaganomics and, you know, and all that stuff. Right, right. It was part of his material, you know. And he's got older well, one thing is like jazz and stuff. If I'm not, if I am not knowledgeable about something, I like realize, shut up. You don't have anything to say if you don't know anything about it. So that's why I'm saying I don't know that much about. I just know that I know he was brilliant, and uh, he was very well respected. I do yep. have a Dweezil Zappa story for you though. That when yeah. we were doing our first album and we did the song "Dream of a Lifetime," which is a drop D tune. Robin Crosby was producing the album, was friends with Dweezil, and Dweezil lent me his guitar to play that song because his guitar, um, I, and I'm trying to figure out exactly how to say it. it, had two additional frets supposedly added onto it. So I was playing in drop D tune, but everything, uh, it was like an elongated neck or something. I, I don't exactly, all I know is it sounded really good and it came from Dweezil. So uh, instead of detuning my guitar and turning the E down, I played it and just like I would play a regular E chord instead of the yeah. D and it wasn't drop D. So I was playing it right. But it, the way the guitar was set up, uh, there were no potential intonation problems. And it was just uh, I think it was a Kramer, as a matter of fact, or Charvel or, or something like that. But I think it was red and white, like a Eddie Van Halen stripe kind of looking thing to it. And I uh, used that on that track and it was from Dweezil Zappi was kind enough to lend it to me so I never did get to meet That's him though guitar. so now he's that a very so good time Dweezil's a great player also get really weird we're gonna start right. going to left field the chilling thrilling sounds Ooh. of haunted house <laughs> 20 tracks including the haunted house the long fuse dogs timber your pet cat, shipwreck, uh, the unsafe bridge, Chinese water torture, <laughs> all the way down to things in space, birds, cat fight, collection of creeks. When yeah, I was a little like, bitty kid, uh, yeah. they had a, a haunted house, they had a, a park called um, Pontchartrain Beach. It was an amusement park, right? They had a haunted house there. And I remember when I was a little bitty kid, I would we'd go there and I would not ever go into that haunted house. It was way <laughs> too scary for me, right? And then this album, they'd always have these songs coming out of the haunted house. And later on, I found out that it came from this record. My dad bought this record for me when I was probably 
10 or 11 years old and we lost it and recently found it again somewhere somebody got it for me it's on disneyland records um from 1964 okay here so it's got all the scary haunted house sounds on there now who would have thought i was scared of haunted houses at that age and that'd be ghost hunting now years later and it's kind of ironic you have that too that album cover nowadays looks like it should have rob zombie and john five like leaning against (laughs) exactly like because they do this exactly the style they, they do now that old style camp. That's great. Yeah. Especially good that you found it from your childhood. That's something that's always oh, connected to something. That's, that's awesome. I know. Um, let's go. Oh, Steve yeah. Vai. Flexible. Steve Vai's first album. Now, Odd, does not as, it's more instrumental. You know the album, right? Right. You know the mm-hmm. Attitude song. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun. That was a big song. Um, it, the whole album's really good. It's just very different. He was still. He had just either was leaving Zappa or left Zappa. He he built like a little recording studio in his like in his shit garden shed in his back in his first house. Right. And I think he borrowed a bunch of Zappa's gear, so the album has a lot of Zappa feel to it. Mm-hmm. A bunch of transition album for him. Right. That would probably be a good album for you to start listening to to get you into Zappa. That and then maybe a guitar album by Zappa. Right. That might be the first thing to no, man, check it out. I really, I really, I guess the thing with me is I've always like there's so many great players and talents out there and stuff like that. And I'll listen to them and get into it and just really, really appreciate the playing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But the things that have always been what I have wanted to listen to and have really gotten to me has been the songs, you know? And I think that's one reason why, like the things that would attract me to wanting to listen to something in the moments while I was wanting to listen to music yeah. would be the songs themselves and the actual individual playing would be secondary to me. Now, not that I would appreciate it any less, because I, I, just, I listen to stuff and go, my God, listen to that bass player, listen to that pianist, listen to that guitar player, and, and, and just totally appreciate the different elements of every song. As a matter of fact, I was teaching my son the other day, we listened to classical music in the car, and I said, hey, do you... um?" do you know what that is what kind of music? He goes, yeah, it's classical dad. He's 11. And I go, do you hear all the instruments in there? He goes, yeah, dad, there's the cello and there's the violin. I was like, where are you learning that? He said, we have a music class at school. I said, great. Listen to the individual pieces by themselves. They're unique, but they're nothing unless they're in conjunction with the other pieces in harmony and working together to create the piece. The piece is what is what I enjoy. So as much as there's so many great players out there and so many good players, I was always listening for the songs at the end of the day, as opposed to like, just, you know, uh, just this great drummer or this great, this and that. So a lot of stuff like the Zappa stuff and all, you know, eluded me uh, just cause I was listening for songs, you know? Um, that, yes, but, I had the same thing earlier. I think cause that's especially in a rock phase, big rock, yeah. because I get, when I'm listening to something, I want to listen to a rock song. I want to listen to that. I wanted to, you know, when you mow, your, mow the yard, there's certain songs, like when you're doing yard work or you're like, now it's older, you know, when you're going for a drive, there's certain music only fits in certain things for me. Well, if you could and, take like Seals and Croft's song and then put a Steve Vai solo in it, now you got the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Seals and Croft. Yeah, it's, that's that? kind of fun. To, you can do that. You put Seals and Croft's and that's always going, you're warming up and you got your guitar, you got an acoustic oh, guitar yeah. and you're starting to tune up. That's when you play Seals and Croft and you're tuning up. And you're trying yeah. to remember some chords. You're like, how does that song go again? And you're like picking right. it out. And you're like, oh, yeah, I know it now. And then you start playing you something. Go. That's how name, it goes. Name more, 
name Seals and Croft song other than Diamond Girl. I couldn't. Uh huh. Remember couldn't. Diamond Girl? I do. What was the other song they had? It was the um, We da, 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 May da, da. Never This Way Again. We May Never pass. Remember that? Yeah. See there? <laughs> that, that's like, it's like Super Tramp. It's like Super exactly. Tramp. I cannot. <laughs> they call it out. That's Yacht Rock nowadays. But, but I if don't you know. hear it, Yacht Rock. There you go. That's a good station, man. But, you know, they've been calling it Yacht Rock. on it all the time, yeah. right? I like, I like Michael McDonald's voice. He's got a crazy high voice. Yeah. yeah. I would yeah. like to think he talks like that, too. <laughs> How you doing there, Sean? Yeah. What's up? <laughs> yeah. Either that or he's like, yeah, Sean, what's up? I actually, I actually think he has a really deep voice. His natural voice, he I think probably does, right? And then what he he's sings, it just goes real high, right? <laughs> he, he's the man they brought in to save the Doobie Brothers, arguably. Yeah, right, exactly. He did. Ted Templeman brought him in. Um, did he really? Templeman did? Wow. Well, what happened was there was there's problems. Uh, I read the Ted Templeman's book, and um, the Doobies had their own stuff going on first with their other players. Right. I can't remember his names. And I think things started to change around a little bit, and Michael came in, and I think they brought him in to, to start to do some co-writing and michael definitely was like living in a kind of garage in a car garage like nothing and then he brought right. him to like do one little two things here one here they don't see fit really good then slowly he came in to the point where he was and then like the other guitar some people weren't liking it or health issues or whatever the issues were and they were out and not in and he just eventually became pretty much the big sound of what what the doobie brothers became really okay so name some michael mcdonald doobie brothers song other than minute by a minute when that I'm one is i could not tell you i do not know these song titles that he wrote like i you know what i mean see i can't either but i know they're out there oh, yeah. like i know doobie brothers is like you know what Black is Black it? Black long Black train Black. running yeah yeah um china grove <laughs> right which one is it the china grove or something is it um china grove, china there grove? You go. yep whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah old black water yeah, old black water, yep. yeah this is something that a minute ago yep but i don't yeah, know which one he, i know all the songs when i hear them but i don't remember the names <laughs> you know so so like when, when i watched mad men a couple of years ago like all of us did and um so I was on youtube just got a mad men song list and i'm like oh i was doing something i put it on i start listening to it i'm like i see like the big list i'm like i don't know any of these songs i start right. listening to it i knew like 50 songs from the 60s right, exactly, i'm like right. i know every song and i didn't know the name of it and i couldn't <laughs> tell you that now but like yeah i really to deep dive it's gotta be it's more in the rock vein for me to be able to really give you some ridiculous yeah. Stupid song right, credits. Here we go, man. We're staying on the same topic. Blood curdling terror, horror, sound. This totally ties in. You shiver, bro. From That's the a good year. cover too. From the year, uh, it's got "Night in a Haunted House." The whole side one is "Night in a Haunted House." Then you got "Witch Laugh," Count Dracula and his victims, screams and groans, moans and groans, cats, dogs. Phantom Piano, Creaking Door. I'm trying to find the year in this because uh, it's old. And uh, wow. Is it just sounds or is there like a mixture with songs too? I don't know. I've never listened to it because I got all this stuff like after I never, I haven't had a turntable in years. You got to incorporate it. You got to incorporate it into your music. I'm telling you, man, I could do, I could have a scary band too, man. Uh, it does, look, this is crazy because it doesn't have a, a, doesn't have a time stamp, a date stamp on it anywhere. It might but be in the record in the spinning part that you can't see. Oh, that's a cool wow. back cover. It smells. I'm I'm looking at the back cover right here, and it's uh, that, that's a cool looking cover. Yeah, and that, I, that's the back of it right there. I like that. But it doesn't say even on the actual vinyl itself, which is very scratched up. It doesn't even have. Let me see. Pickwick International Stereo. Wow. Nope. 
nothing on here to tell me uh, the dates. Anyway, it's old as hell. That's all I know. Stereo. I like how you had to always push it with stereo because you know you know you want to choose all mono 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 ones out there at the time, right? That was a big push. Yeah, stereophonic. There you go. So I'm gonna say well, this is a, a this one just is a newer one. Oh, okay. I think we'll this do... was a, a that was the uh, the newest one I had. What's the name so of that great. one? This one is called the Hardwired one. I want to bring. Oh, okay. That's their most recent studio. It's album. the most recent one. It, it they did like a bunch of videos for it. It's the sound is really probably closest to what they used to do. Right. I, I right, like right. albums too. I like when an artist does different stuff. I just had to put that in as an honorable mention. There you go. But uh, here's what I was going to talk about. Bam. Abbey Road. Wow. Look at that. That's awesome. They're probably original back in the day. Yeah. Nice. I mean, come together, you know, um, George Harrison, something. Maxwell Silverhammer, you remember that song, the lyrics to it? Yeah. Yep, what a sure. violent song, if you really think about it, like mm-hmm. banging it down ahead. But I mean, oh, darling, I mean, I want you. She's so heavy, you know that? Okay. But, um, oh, that's a great song. I used to cover so that. Oh, heavy. All right. Here's, here's my story on the, uh, my question to you on the Beatles. I was talking to my wife in the car yesterday because Beatles song came up. Did the Beatles ever tour? Did they ever go out on the road? I know that you see, like, think about it. All you really ever hear from the Beatles is like a couple of those big shows, Hollywood Bowl and yeah. um, and those big shows when they first came over and they wanted Sullivan show. No, that was, but, I think that was it because they couldn't play. They played Shea Stadium and their amps yeah. weren't loud enough and the crowd was so loud and erratic that they couldn't even hear themselves okay but later on in their careers they were doing music throughout the 60s there were other bands sabbath and hendrix and they were doing all these festivals and could they never seemed that they ever went out and did gigs and i was they like did a bunch when they started out they did like like in hamburg germany they were playing like five there's like eight hours or five five you know sets a night for like months on end they right totally they, they, they played live until they made once they got once, no once they got big they, they, they were just from touring. Well, they, I videos. mean, they never toured for um for Abbey Road or no. um any of the you know the they put out the bet the uh those best of records right the the uh, mm-hmm. anthologies the red one for the early stuff and then the blue one for right. the latest and you start listening I go my God so many songs but did they ever go out and support any of the later records did they ever play I'm the Walrus Live or Strawberry Field. Or- I, all the all the guys so, have played solo and have played together. Like you know what I mean? But yeah, they never really. Collectively, went I don't think it's really any no really big like band. Beatles, nineteen sixty nine. You know, U.S. You know, all their all their younger years when they played the first, like just like two versions. Really, just like the two, the first like the fifties beboppy ones. Right. And that's when they're playing out a lot and they're doing clubs and all, I want your hand and play right. your hand. And that's when they do like the clubs and stuff. So that was kind of the time period. Right. And then they, then they started going up. They came to America, got too crazy. They pulled back. They didn't have to do it. They started doing like the movies, help and this and that right. kind of changed. Then they started doing the videos and growing their hair out and experimenting and, you know, Yellow Submarine. and It wasn't movies. really about going out and playing live. It really wasn't. It was about just creating songs. It's kind of weird. Because you think and, like no. now, what if they were out now and they were going to go out like, like Pink Floyd goes out with this immense stuff and they've got all this weird music, but they have this, they have the ability to go out and hire yeah great backup musicians what if the beatles were able to go out if they were all still alive and go out and do you know all the the crazy psychedelic stuff with orchestra and all that in big production it'd be amazing yeah. but we'll never they, get seen we'll never no, get they, yeah they, they didn't they, you know the other thing is they only lasted for like 
I want to say I think the most prolific period of, that I like with all those really good albums was only like within like a, a four or five years. Yeah, all those was, crazy albums. A, they were literally in the studios writing and producing and doing movies. Like yeah. you actually do that. That was like the bulk of everything that we've all now rely on for their music. Yeah. How many albums did they do? Studio records. You know, off the top of your head. Um, I think that was the tenth one. Um, Abbey Road. I have no ever. Oh, this is sorry. This was their eleventh, and okay. then they did. Um, they had one more after this one. By that time, they had, it was released like a month after they broke up. It was. Um, so they were the doing. Be, uh, the, they did the Let It Be album where they did it like live on a roof. That was Let It Be. Oh, they okay. had broken up by that point. So they, I mean, they were putting out an album a year at least, right? Oh, oh at least sometimes more. Sometimes isn't that crazy? Like full productions. They were just. They were a monster. Yeah. They didn't have I, to that, that would be pretty cool to always be in the studio creating but to get to have that ability to go out and play live though i wonder why they never wanted to play it so much and it was so loud the crowds were so crazy i mean paul plays beatles songs ever since he was in wings and paul mccartney's from the 70s ringo plays his all-star band and george played yeah and john john played great could you imagine if they would have actually if we had some like videos of them playing and, and touring and doing shows later on in their career when Almost that, which is my favorite that's my preferred period yeah. of Beatles as the later stuff so me too I mean it almost That's happened too all right here we go last creepy record right yeah Peter Laurie oh Peter Laurie remember him Peter Laurie master of mystery and suspense original radio broadcast from 19 this was from 78 yeah Peter Laurie was uh this is him Arriving in Berlin in the 20s, he established himself on the German stage. Uh, he left Berlin with the rise of Nazism. Now, you know who Peter Lorre was. He was an actor in all of the horror movies, right? Yeah. He was the one that talked like this, Peter Lorre. All right. So side one of this is him completely doing the whole radio version of The Black Cat, which the great, I think Vincent Price was in that movie. And then side two. The Queen of Spades, the complete show, exactly as heard from Nostalgia Lane Records. Peter Lorre, look at that cover, man. Look you at need, that black. You need a, that is awesome. You need to get a record looks, player for Halloween to play these. I'm telling you, man. It looks like, I thought that was a yo-yo, but it's not. It's actually a, a red circle. <laughs> There's nothing <laughs> scarier than a cat playing it with a yo-yo. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a noose hanging down. Yeah. Behind the cat's head. Look at that cat, man. He is He's not happy. Looks like a person. Looks like my cat. Anyway, Peter Laurie, you know, we go from uh, Alice Cooper to Peter Laurie. That's good, man. How are we doing for time? How you doing? How you doing for time? Oh, we got a little time, man. We good. Okay. Okay. You know what? Unfortunately, the only other things I have left are on vinyl. Lillian Axe records. <laughs> nice. You got any stories of them? Uh, I can remember the day I played the first, when I got my first actual copy and put it on there and uh i thought that the heavens were going to open up the only real story on this is um if you look at the cover a guy named hugh sign did the cover if you look at our first album cover you look at white snakes uh i think it was slip of the tongue and yeah. the kingdom um album cover they're all very similar it was the same mm-hmm. guy did those i think he went through a phase where he did these like uh you hold up again yeah the cover is um it's okay. like, I don't know if it's shining or whatever, but it's like... I don't know. If, if you wrote the letters, slippery when wet in a plastic bag, it might also have been... Uh, yeah, <laughs> <a> right. <laughs> <laughs> the black album with the finger writing on a, the print. You see the purple kind yeah, of... Yeah, uh, like yeah. It looks like 
surface of the moon actually, but purple and the logo. And um, that um, he did some Rush album covers. He's very well known. He's done a lot more covers than I'm even remembering right now. But I knew at the time he did White Snake and uh, Kingdom Come and, and Rush. And um, he did that album cover. But yeah, that's our first record. So, you know, it was, what was the second one? What's the idea for the other cover? I was actually asking a question for um, you. What did you come up with? Album, uh, Poetic Justice, where you can see the picture of the band and Lillian, the old lady holding an axe. Now, the back of the cover is a drowning judge and nice. Lillian standing on the edge of the pool. He has chains on his feet. His gavel is falling out of his hand and he has poetic justice tied around his neck. Uh-huh. And he's drowning in a swimming pool. They went and did this photo shoot. Originally, that was going to be the cover and it was going to be a drowning judge. But when they, they these photographers were underwater, they didn't quite weren't able to capture the image quite how they wanted so they decided well let's put that on the back so this lady on here we picked her from a bunch of different elderly models and uh who we thought fit the uh the vision of lily and it was kind of a you know obviously it was tongue-in-cheek a little bit of humor it's funny she's guarding her band and when we did the video for no matter what there was another lady who looked similar to her yeah, that played the old lady chasing girls out of the house while we rehearsed. I thought that, that was the same person. Was the Beatles, you know, with the fast motion stuff. You know, back in those times, it was unfortunately for some of this stuff. Maybe fortunately, they told us basically what it was going to be, and uh, we want your input and everything. But this is how it's going to be. If you like it or not, do you like it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. Well, there's your input. You liked it. You know. <laughs> so, um, but uh, you know. Uh, it wound up, this was probably the album that that was our best-selling album. Um, I remember one of the cool stories about... Yeah, Poetic Justice was, yeah. That was bigger than um, Love and War? Yeah, sales-wise, yeah. We were sound scanning. I remember the first week of sound scan was like 80,000 units first week. So it was, it was crazy. Um, you remember Columbia House where you paid like a penny and got a whole bunch of free things? Well, and I, they, think, I think I still owe them. I know. I think we all do. But <laughs> they, well, every month, they came out with a different, you got that little booklet with everything mm-hmm. in there and you picked it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were the crazy. featured artist the month that Poetic Justice came out. So we were on the cover that I still have uh-huh. a copy where we were the featured artist for Columbia House. So I know a lot of, of, of copies of the album went out to people for a penny, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And that's part of your contract. You got X amount of, of albums that are going to be, you know, or I guess I don't know what they call them, but they, um, they're like a loss, like a loss leader. Pretty much, yeah. It's just like you know, you you know, you're not going to get paid on these because people are paying a penny. Yet Columbia House says X amount. Plus, when you're the featured thing right there, um, you know, that's what people are. Yeah, let's yeah, let's try it out. It's a penny, you know. I get thirty albums for. A penny. I think it's. I think it was the Napster clause before there was Napster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> you could get or Spotify. You get a penny for it. Your music yeah. for all your songs. It was, um, you know, it was. Uh, it was. It was a good push. So you know, um, but that was it. Yeah, that's the vinyl. That's 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 all the damn Ooh. vinyl I have. It's that's sad. Right. I, got, I have a couple here. And just talk about music. You can rant off these. I got like three or four left. Couple. Yeah. Who, do, who came up with the cover of uh? Oh, the love and war and who's that who's that lady that lady's that name is. is sharon case she was in general hospital years ago 
And um, I actually never met her. But um, years later, when, um, when we took a break and I had my project Near Life Experience, we were recording an album in New Orleans. And the owner of the studio goes, oh, yeah, that's Sharon Case on your Love and War record. Yeah, she's uh, she just broke up with my friend. She was dating a friend of mine down here in New Orleans. She's nuts, man. That that she was crazy or whatever. Evidently, that's what he's saying. Now, of course, there's two sides of every story. All uh, right, but evidently, uh, she was living down here and dating a friend of his. And uh, I didn't ever. I don't know anything that ever happened to her. To be honest with you, her career. She's I think. Like, oh yeah, that, that was my ex-wife. Or, <laughs> or yeah, right. Exactly. Like, I'm sorry, that was the manager so and so. Or yeah, you know, one of those questions. You know, the the age-old question: Was that your girlfriend? Did you go out with her? Did you do that? I know, right? No, I was never actually. I never really thought about that until we were just talking about album covers right? and the right. process. And you're saying how they put it out there. So yeah. on a serious note, I was thinking like, you'd be like, oh no, this guy producer put her in there or, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. All right. All right. Actually, this is, this was my girlfriend at the time right here. <laughs> <laughs> she took care of you though. She probably yeah, could make a good sandwich too though, right? She kept you fed. Yeah, right. She cut a sandwich in You really need the road. You need somebody to take care of you when you're eating. All right. Classic. Might be there overrated on some levels, but 30 million albums when it first came out. Remember when it first came out? Well, actually, and I've talked to a bunch of bands lately too on the show. These guys couldn't get, you know, arrest, couldn't get arrested. Right. <laughs> right. Came out. It was, you know, and other bands were getting signed. Just it wasn't really because of Guns N' Roses, it was just the time. So by the time Guns N' Roses broke, yeah. a lot of those bands were signed. It felt like it was, you know, a big pull. Yeah. And not just the bands getting themselves signed. Um it took a couple pushes for the album to get out. I think it, Welcome to the Jungle had to be re-released, I think, didn't it? Or something. It was Yeah, like, it wasn't, you know, like a lot. And, and isn't that kind of crazy, too? It just goes to show you, because of the fact that they had a label that was willing to do that. What if they just shelved them, right? Think about that. How many bands? Uh, there you go. MCA yeah. Records. Thank you. Um, how many bands, if it doesn't click right away, get shelved? You know? And, it, and the problems and, with these guys that they had, too. Like, imagine, like, so they had... Paul Stanley came in. He, Paul Stanley was going to produce the album, right? But really? He, I didn't know yeah, that. He, wa he wanted to change up the uh, the drums on Stephen Adler's drums too much. Stephen Adler was like, really? no. So he was, so he was out. Mutt Lang, the band wanted Mutt Lang to do it. Right. The record label said it cost too much money. Right. Mike Klink came in. I know he had stories. Like, he was like, I, I was married before that started. I, he got so involved with them. He was <laughs> got divorced. His life changed totally. I don't know how true everything is. But I remember reading that. Um, the album was only made for like three hundred, uh, three hundred seventy thousand dollars, which is a lot for you know, it's like right. a house. Right, but right. if you think, um, you know, any of the new albums that take twelve years now, right? It's it's, it's, it's a drop in the bucket considering these are thirty million of them, like one of the biggest albums, you know. I know, but there. isn't it? It's funny how how quickly could have gone. I remember the way I found out yeah. about them was Robin Crosby, had actually mentioned it to me. He goes, yeah, there's this band out here. It's uh, the album's really good and think they're going to do real well and um called guns and i said i never heard of them before then you started hearing a little bit about them here and there and stuff um but um that you know that that's the case and if you're fortunate enough to have a label that believes in it strong it's enough the to media too because i heard about them before i saw them actually right so I, I had an article i remember getting like in one of the magazines how they're like this badass band from la and had a picture right. of them and how they're like the newest thing and I remember having the picture put aside or whatever. And I heard like one song. I was like, oh, these are great in my locker or whatever. You know, right. I was a teenager. And it was even before, like before the album broke. I don't know if it was like an EP or something. And it was just crazy. And then. Yeah. 
All right, here's one for you, a little trivia. Yeah. On the side note, what other bands has Paul, another band in particular, Paul Stanley produced the debut album on? That's hard, because I know Gene Simmons always was producing. That's why I was always surprised to hear Paul was doing this one. I'll give you a hint. Their single was Don't Ever Want to Lose You. It's going to New song I have a hard time with. Yeah, New England. The who? New England. Okay, you got to do yourself a favor. New England put three albums out. The first album and then the Ironically, was, I live in New England too. Just Explore <laughs> Suite, right? Explore yeah. Suite. Third, and then I can't remember the name of the third the third album. Paul Stanley produced it. They had a, a single called Don't Ever Want to Lose Ya. It's one of those songs that if you hear it, it you would like them. They actually opened up for Kiss uh, on their first tour. And mm-hmm. I saw them, and they opened up for Kansas on another tour. And uh, their songs are great. The first album. I've never heard of them. Yeah, you got I've heard I, about a lot of crazy. I, I, go look, I'll look go check. Yep, Paul Stanley produced. The first album is one of those. My first year of college was the album of that year. I listened to that every single day. I, I missed that one. This is crazy. New England trivia. Now, the keyboard player yeah. I, and maybe the bass player went on to play an Alcatraz with that first Alcatraz album with Ingve on it and um, mm-hmm. and uh, Graham Bonnet singing. Um, that has its song Hiroshima, Modern War on it. I think um, Gary Waldo, I think, was one of the guys. The keyboard player and or the bass player from New England went to Alcatraz. New England did three albums. I guess it didn't click. I don't know what happened, but listen to that first album. The songs are phenomenal. Really good. I will. That's, I, I Paul Stanley produced that. Yep. I'm, so, I'm going to throw in one last piece of Paul Stanley. Um, Google Stanley Coffee Commercial. I think it's Volvo. What? Paul Stanley Coffee Commercial on YouTube. Are you serious? You look it up. Yeah, it, it's not. It's like it's like a circus, and he's singing his Boston voice. The best thing about waking up, you see it. <laughs> it's pretty good. Did you hear my? You said I just heard I something. Said, yeah, Are you serious and serious yeah. said you That's activated crazy. my Apple see? Watch. <laughs> I turn off my stuff. They're gonna come Life get us. Weird. All right, Paul Stanley sings the Folger coffee commercial. Yeah, gotta go. So, not allowed to say this one. I actually rat. Speaking of Robin Crosby, nice. Um, I actually have like, a piece of video I'm actually going to throw in between this piece because I, I, I just did talk to Stephen Pierce the other night. Oh, okay, cool. And I told him we were doing this and I, I pulled this up. I said, oh, you know, this is me, you and I are doing this. He goes, right. oh, put it back up. He goes, he goes, I got a story for you. So he kind of talked about the recording of it in the process and had like a little four track and stuff. He kind of got into a little bit about right. it's a good album, you know. It's and a great Robin, was Robin and I mean, everyone was at a peak. It was just so good. Um, the sound, it brought, really brought the level from the first one. The first one was good. But it's like mm. it's nice to see a band keep growing on on it. Yeah, yeah. He said, you know, in the studio, Bo was just kicking their butts in a good way, just really making them sure. work. Yeah, really yeah. Good. I mean, and that was you look back, you see Robin. Robin was looking so good back then. It was, you know, it was, I know, was sad, I know. Sad decline for him. Like a lot of stories with Robin. Spent a lot of time with him. But I tell you what, um, we were. Um, that's kind of how we got signed. Is we were um, Lillian was doing really well as an unsigned. Uh, original act we were doing um playing three four nights a week we go to uh, all through louisiana and and texas and mississippi and i'm not kidding you uh times were different we'd be uh, playing uh in lafayette louisiana on a wednesday night with 500 people 
everywhere we're going. We're just making such a and we were doing our own mm-hmm. stuff. But, you know, it's it doesn't matter. It's still hard. So there were we got a phone call. I can remember where we were. We got a phone call from an agent. Our agent said, look, Brat and Queensryche are, are coming through and they want to put you guys on five shows to help ticket wow. sale. So that's when we did. And after the first two shows, um, uh, the security guy came up and go, hey, uh, I need to get your phone number. Marshall Burrow wants to talk to you. I gave him my number and I knew what it was about. I just knew. And uh, I got a phone call a couple of days later and it was Marshall. Going, yeah, Marshall Burrow here, Steve. <laughs> Look, man, uh, you know, I've been talking to Robin and he really likes you guys. Do you want a record deal? And, you know, at the time, you know, Rat, you know, Marshall Burrow and Doc were the two big managers. I'm like, yes, sir, I do. I would like a record deal. Thank you. So that was the beginning of that. Because, yeah, Robin really likes the band and he wants to produce your first record. And I said, you know, wow. absolutely. That'd be that'd be fantastic. What do we need to do here? And that began that. But that that was our. I you know, never knew five, that. Those four of them with Queens, right? And one of them was Poison was the opener. And I knew that we had got some attention because Poison, it was just starting to hit, right? The first album. Yeah. And they made Poison strike the drums to, so we could put our drums up. I said, we we got it made, wow. guys. <laughs> wow. In an arena, striking drums, man, you know. Uh, so, But I was on Dancing on the Cover Tour, so that was after that record. And uh, yeah, man, they were too. I love the Rat albums, man. They, they was, it's a shame there was so much internal combustion you know we've done shows with piercy um lots of shows with rat in the past and uh they were always one of my favorites it's kind of disappointing when you you just see how you want these guys to all just stay together and you know just keep it going for us (laughs) i did last one here all right great high and dry yep the look joe elliott hair now yeah, everyone has the all got the same hair look at him man they all got the same perm like probably like the perm kit before the show i, I don't know look at pete, what is it pete willis the little guy yep. yeah right yeah pete so yeah pete will uh, uh no, pete willis up here kind of, yeah kind of looks like eric martin a little bit what happened, happened to him is they they fired him because he was an alcoholic so oh. bad 17 year old alcoholic that's pretty bad that was his last album with him and then they had uh you know they'll yeah. come in after that and well, I, I, I was working in a record store when that album came out. And uh, so we had a turntable behind there and speakers in the store. I swear I played that. And I was in my second year of college. I was working at like this, me and my wine, right? One, the records. What's that? Me and my wine. And then yeah, he gets fired. Exactly. They're a big song on there. <laughs> like yep. big, big. He was just ir- irresponsible. Two or three times in a row every day at working at that record store, man. I mean, I, I, burn that thing i know every nuance of that record so it's great I, I, you it's know great. in fact they had like they had an instrumental in there they had was a switch um switch was, 925 yeah 925 is really like a number before that high and dry it's had it really just has so many different layers to it i think breaking the heart heartbreak is it was a really good ballad that kind of had that, that weird great almost song. had that weird european kind of mystical that background oh, sound to it you know what i'm yeah. saying yeah um now that's a great that's a great uh, album but my favorite is still the first album that on through hello, the night really favorite one yeah with hello america and yeah. um it doesn't matter uh doesn't matter that's a good one answer, answer to the master answer to the master that's great i love that song i think the, you know the only problem i have with that is i think the vocals have too much reverb on it probably so i'll be honest and i just said this the other day too i said i, I think what 
you know, the biggest crime, and, and I even said this about John Lennon, and we were talking about, and even I guess I guess even the producer of John Lennon said this because I was talking to somebody who did some work. I like John Lennon's voice, but I don't like right. John Lennon. He's, as he admittedly public said, he was never a big fan of his own voice, which is crazy. Right. And so right. when he did the solo stuff, he, like I said, when they did Abbey Road, George Martin came back and said, if you guys do it my way, I'll record with you guys again because, you know, he was like the writer of the band, but, you know, sure. kept together. So he had a good sound. So John Lennon had so much reverb on himself. You know, if you listen to other stuff, listen to all the right. songs, you know. He's a so you think he was doing that because he didn't like his own voice, so he was I trying think so, to... Yeah, that's, I, that's what I had heard right there. And and one of the producers, I don't remember which one it was, that I actually worked and recorded him. I had heard had the same had the same issue. They liked him more with the dry voice. Mm-hmm. I would have I would love to hear all the Lennon albums with a dry, yeah, voice. And that ruins me for a lot of bands. There's a lot of bands that came in the '80s at first. It took me a couple times to listen to it because I yeah. hate which reverb on the vocals. Right, right. It'd be crazy. I, you know? I know. For me, vocals are the most important part of any yeah. song. I tell everybody's like they ask me when do you write the vocals. I like I write them at the same time as the music. I don't write riffs and then come back and throw a vocal over the top mm-hmm. I've, I've done that when people have given me there's a guy right now that i'm i'm actually i'm not even playing guitar on his record i'm just doing the lead vocals and it's a record that's coming out later on in the summer and um i'm just doing and but he'll send me completed songs and then i'll i'll write the lyrics and the melodies over it but when i'm doing lily and some of my own stuff i hear it all at the same time because it's to me the most important part of the song is the vocal um yeah I, uh, it's, but you gotta you be know. natural. It's gotta be warm. It's gotta fill the room. It's gotta feel gotta, like yeah. a 70s vinyl it's album. It's easy. gotta, yeah, you gotta hear the emotion in it to me. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I'm like. And, and the, the biggest crime was John Lennon had a beautiful voice. Yeah. And, and, I, and when you heard it, in fact, you had heard it clean, you weren't like, well, we don't know what it sounds like because there's no very reverb on it. Maybe right. he was a good songwriter. No, you heard like 12 Beatles albums of clean yep. voice and yep. it was brilliant. Yeah. You know, imagine yep. some of his bigger hits. Just like pull back on the reverb. So, what's but, your favorite Beatles song? All time. It, it changes every day. Yeah. Sometimes it's, I like I'll go something with George Harrison's writing on it. Some days it'll be Octopus Garden just because it's so crazy and so cute but smart. Right. You know, and sometimes it'll be like Live and Let You Know. Uh, yeah. Guy. You know, it, it goes across. Like I literally have a hard time with it. It makes me crazy. Right. What about you? I like Hey Jude. That's my son's name. Yep. And so when I listen to the song now, me, it's different to me just, but um, that's a great song. That Let It Be. Um, uh, I like She's So Heavy, too. Um, you, you, Motley Crue put that in their album, and then Feel Good, remember? In the what? breakdown. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, if we go back and listen to Dr. Feel Good. And, um, they did a cover of that song on it? It looks like it's like it's actually in the song. Dun, 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 dun. It's like like halfway through the album, I want you so heavy. It like it literally yeah. breaks into it almost like they they, they admitted it. it wasn't like it was rip off or anything. Nikki said, you know, it's in there. What song? Oh, I my head off to go quick Google. Oh, it. it's in the middle of a Motley Crue song that they broke on Doctor Feel Good. Yeah, if you listen to Doctor Feel Good, um, it's like it's a break between. It's like um, I like Rattlesnake Shake and then something else. I want you. Do I want you? It's so good. Actually, it fits perfect in the end there too. And you know, Bob Rock was like, yeah. You know, hmm. I don't. I don't. Why have I never heard that before? Because we listen. But back then, I mean, I want to say uh, somewhere around either Sam, Sticky Sweet, 
or she goes down or sli- a slice of your pie. I think it's around a slice of your pie. Okay, that's right. There's some songs in that I probably fast forwarded over maybe. Yeah. I think it's, it's it's one of the less popular songs. You slice slice your pie, or like sticky sweet, or she goes down, like somewhere in there. But I want to say I think it's like the end of slice your pie. It's just oh, like, okay. like it's like the, you know set the whole thing. It's just like kind of put it in there, and, you know. Oh, I think okay. Nice That's cool. I, I, you know, it's been a while since I've heard the song, so. I tell you what, have you ever listened to Julian Lennon? His uh, oh yeah, John? he's yeah. got some really good stuff. He sounds just like his dad too. He, he has a song like a... called I Wait. Want Your Body is the name of it. But it's a beautiful ballad with a title, Want Your Body. So I was like, it just doesn't fit at all. But listen to that song, man. It's really nice. You know, they're, they're all talented, though. All the Beatles okay. kids. Yeah. Which what really about weird that Yoko, man? That's a oh, singing... <laughs> You know, they're kid, but they're kid. Sean. Have you heard Sean's, yeah. some Sean stuff? No, I haven't. He's done stuff with the guy with on with Les from uh, from Primus. Him, they have a oh. project together. He has he's a couple different things. If you listen to his stuff, really really great stuff. Oh, that's um, cool. Very creative. And then uh, Harrison's for uh, uh, for yeah. George Harrison's son also plays extra support. Harrison's um, son plays uh, Danny, Danny sings and plays guitar. He looks like his dad. Oh, okay, cool. Paul McCartney has some. Paul McCartney has a son that you don't really hear about. Kind of looks like him. Right. He's got shorter hair. Right. Doesn't. I didn't say yeah. publicity. He, no he's music. not bad at all. He's just oh, the songs are, are, are good. Music, they, all the kids play yeah, music. Yeah, a lot of them do. They yeah. should get together, man. <laughs> been, they, they talk about that, but all the kids get together because all the kids have instruments. Uh, Ringo's kid plays Sons of, plays, Sons of I think Beatles. Kid actually plays drums too. Really, Sons of Beatles, man. That might work. I think the pressure for that would be just too much for anybody. Oh, you got to be kidding me! Yeah. Hey, man. You know, I mean, Julian Lennon. Paycheck would be. He's had yeah, a career alone. He's had the hardest of it because he didn't have, I don't think he had all that Beatles money. He, he kind of cut his own way through. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, when John, all those guys, they all, all the rest of the guys have that, some of that Beatles money, I think. That's a lot of money. I know. There. A lot of Especially money. for not touring, you know? That <laughs> <laughs> really bothers you. You're like, God, if you can just sit in the studio for five years and create your best albums and not tour and be like the biggest songs on the planet and just have all number ones and Never be still rich, you'd be like, all right, here, I'm fine. <laughs> they just couldn't they couldn't play out they're just too big yeah and they just weren't happy and then the band was having issues too so that's crazy it is and they actually renamed emi studios abbey road too it was actually emi studios it wasn't abbey road studios oh really oh i didn't know that good trivia yeah and it's always a pleasure to speak to you oh, bud yeah me too man